so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Okay, so this morning's reading comes from the book of James in chapter 3 and it's entitled Taming the Tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder whenever the pilot, wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Get real. Uh, and so James has been calling us to get real about our faith. And so last week was about faith been more than words, more than well wishes, not more than nice thoughts and good vibes, present thoughts your way. That, that faith, real faith, must lead to action. But in this week's chapter, in chapter 3, James lets us know that our words do matter though. Real faith is more than words, but our words matter. And so this week we're exploring what James has to say about getting real about the way we speak as followers of Jesus. Get real about how you use your tongue, about what you allow to come out from your mouth. And he begins this, as Tony read for us, with these words. Not many of you should become teachers. And so this is his way of introducing this idea of speaking and the power of speech, and and through overlaying this this message in this passage is the the idea of the tongue uh, for an individual's um, ability to to speak. But there's also this idea of of, of leadership, and, and I guess been the, the the mouthpiece of a church or a group of people, and and um, so he introduces this this chapter about the power of speech by talking about those who are in a teaching position and so not many of you should presume to be teachers my fellow believers because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly perhaps not every preacher's favorite verse from the bible um, but perhaps it should be 
And so he's introducing the idea of, it, of what we say, especially if you're a teacher, and, and saying it publicly uh, in the public sphere uh, or, or leading a group of people who are followers of Jesus with your words. He's saying that these, these words are, are important. We need to be careful with what we say. He says, you know, and, and I love, this is a, a good follow-up from will be judged more strictly. James, who was a teacher himself, said, we all stumble in many ways. No one is perfect, he's saying, but he says, if anyone who is never at fault in what they say, well, then they are perfect. They're able to keep the whole body in check. And so James is introducing the idea of speech. He's, he's introducing the idea of, of, of the power of the tongue, and he's introducing this concept that the tongue has an oversized influence on the rest of the body. If someone can manage to control their tongue, if someone has control over what they say publicly and privately, then James is saying you're, you're, you're well on the way to controlling the rest of you. He's saying the tongue has an oversized influence, but he's also saying the tongue is one of the hardest parts of us to bring into self-control. Faith must be more than words, but our words do matter. And so the big idea of this chapter, the thing to take away from this is, is a call to tame our tongue, to tame your tongue. But James is saying, if you can manage to do that, well, you're well on the way to controlling your whole body. The point is our speech should be different. The way we talk should be different, just as the way we act should be different to the world around us. The way we speak as followers of Jesus should be different. And then so James introduces us uh, more so to this idea of the great power of the tongue. He says to us, the tongue has the power to determine the course of your life. In James uh, chapter 3, verse 3, the, the first half of verse 5, he says, When we put into the mouths of horses, when we put, sorry, bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And so he's saying, um, the horsey people over here can understand the more dynamics of it, but he's saying, You put this little thing in a horse's mouth, and a horse is enormous. But with this little thing in its mouth, you can control the whole animal. I, last time I went horse riding was uh, while I was dating Christy um, before we were married. And uh, we went on a trail ride in the Blue Mountains. This was before I discovered um, she was allergic to horses. That's how much she um, was attracted to me. <laughs> that when I suggested we go on a, a, a trail ride, a, a horse ride together, she was enthusiastic about the idea. Um, I have since know her better and know that's, that's kind of not something she would enjoy in its own right, but it's all about me. Uh, and so we arrived at this trail riding place. Um, oops, I've come apart at the back. We've arrived at this trail riding place and uh, uh, they're allocating horses and they look at me and uh, this was in my rugby days, so I was a little bit larger still. And um, sorry, I just need to lift myself back together. 
everything's happening there. I was a little bit larger still, and they looked at me, and they were allocating horses, and they pointed me to Big Red. And I walked over to Big Red, and Big Red was a Clydesdale. <laughs> he was enormous. Um, but they put a bit in his mouth, and me, have, I've, I've ridden horses a little bit, but I wouldn't say I was a horseman by any means, was able to control him. Uh, he had a bit of an attitude. He wanted to be at the front of the line and still they started galloping and he was like, we're off. And then he got really grumpy that he couldn't keep up and, and refused to go anywhere. But generally speaking, this enormous animal was able to be controlled by, by something small within its mouth. And so James is saying that that's what the tongue is like. Our, our lives are so big, our bodies, the tongue is not by any means the largest part of our body but like you can control a horse with a little bit in its mouth, our whole body, our whole direction of life is controlled by the tongue. There's great power in the tongue. He goes on to say, or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And so James is saying, you know, horses are big, but you can control them with a bit. But, but think about a ship. Ships can be enormous, and these are wind-powered ships, and the power of the wind is phenomenal. Yet they can be taken, these enormous things that are driven by this enormously powerful force, can be controlled and steered and directed to where the pilot wants them to go by one of the smallest parts of the ship. And so he's saying again, he goes on to say, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. He's saying the tongue is small. We might think our words are small and inconsequential, that they don't really matter. It was just... We have this phrase, it's just a slip of the tongue. But James wants us to know that our, our words have an oversized power. The tongue has an oversized power compared to its size to direct the course of our life. There is great power in the tongue. Uh, and he goes on to say, and, and, and this is a warning, these next few verses, the second part of verse 5 and, and verse 6, this is a warning about not just the great power of the tongue to steer our life, but, but the great destructive potential of our tongue, the great destructive potential of our words. He says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And so praise God that um, I believe it's still the case, there's no fires burning at the moment but we've recently seen in our nation the, the great destruction that can occur from just a few sparks either a careless either intentionally or accidentally careless person you know one match or just one lightning strike on the ground can cause catastrophic destruction across unthinkable amounts of territory In our current context, we might think about a tiny little virus. One little sneeze that sets the whole world on fire, so to speak. 
So James is saying that's the potential that, was, that is in our tongue as well. Just as a tiny spark or a, a tiny tongue of fire has the potential to burn the whole world down, so to speak, he says the tongue is also a fire. He says it's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life. He's already talked about that. On, but he said it sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And it is itself set on fire by hell. And so James is saying we need to be careful with how we use our tongue. This ability for it to be a rudder in our life uh, has, has a, a positive side of it. We can steer our life to positive places, but, but we need to be careful of the other side. We can steer our life to negative places, to bad places, but we can also set our entire life on fire. Not to encourage us to live in fear, but, but we can all think of stories of, of famous people who were doing well and then they just said one thing and it all blew up. You know, thankfully, not all of us are necessarily in such a, a critical spotlight, but, but we need to take that same attitude with our words that not living in fear, but, but being cautious with them that we don't start a fire that we can't put out. And so we need to get real with how we use our words. And this begins, I believe James is suggesting to us, with just simply understanding the power of words. Understanding the power of our tongue. As I've already said, our words might seem small, our tongue might seem small, but they have great power. In Proverbs, uh, the, the wisdom of Proverbs says, says this in Proverbs 18, 20 and 21. It says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. And, and so the, 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 the Proverbs are tapping into this idea that, that the words we use, the, the, the produce of what we speak determines so much in our life. It, it's, it determines our, our prosperity in life to a, to a large degree. And then in verse 21, uh, the writer of Proverbs says this, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. And, and so our tongue, our, our words have great power and we have a choice about how we use them. We have a choice to speak words of life or to speak words of death. We, we have a choice to, to speak words that, that set our life on a, on a, on a course that's uh, honouring to God or to set our life on a course that's dishonouring to Him. We have a choice to, to use our words that, that speak life into others or we have a choice to use our words in a way that, that speak death over others. We have a choice to use our words in a way that encourages or we have a choice to use our words in a way that discourages. We have a choice to use our words in a way that build up or a choice to use our words in a way that tears down. But we need to understand that our words matter. There is great power in the tongue. And then so to kind of bear this out, to draw out the importance of our words, James goes on to talk more about the tongue and he says, well, is it an instrument of praise or a tool for cursing? 
he digs into this kind of two-sided life and death, building up, tearing down, honouring God, dishonouring God. He, he digs into that. He, he begins by talking about, well, there's a great challenge in taming the tongue. He says all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. And so we can think about all the different ferocious creatures that we've managed to tame. Whether we should do that is another question. We'll put that aside. In many cases, no. You watch the movie Blackfish? No. But we've been able to tame lions and tigers and bears and killer whales or orcas. That's what the movie Blackfish is about, if you are curious about that question. That's perhaps not a good thing to keep a giant marine creature in a tank. But the point is we've been able to tame them. What James says we haven't been able to tame as a species is our tongue. He said, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so James is acknowledging the tongue has great power, but is acknowledging that that it's so hard to tame. He said earlier, all of us fall short in many ways and he's acknowledging here that none of us have really managed to tame our tongue. He wants us to get real about this challenge. So often there's things that we say like, well, I shouldn't say this, but blah, 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 blah. We're kind of acknowledging when we do things like that. We're saying, this is not a good thing to say. It should stay in. But I'm going to let it come out because I can't tame my tongue. I don't want to be offensive, but if someone says that to you, you're pretty sure you're about to be offended. And I'm touching on these things because I touch on that idea of we've got this sense of there's things that we shouldn't say, but so often we struggle to not. James goes on then to, to kind of bear out this, this two sides of this thing. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. He's saying we praise God with our lips, with our tongue, with our mouth. We, we use our mouth as an instrument of praise. We sing, which we didn't sing this one this morning, but, but with my breath in my lungs, I'll praise you. I've butchered that, but you get the point. That, that, that we use our, our, our voice as an instrument of praise to Almighty God, and that should be so. But then we curse His creation. We praise God, and then we curse His image with the same instrument. Uh, the, the idea of cursing here, it does include the idea of what we might think of as putting a hex on someone, like a, 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 
a cursing prayer in a sense, a proclaiming of negative, a wishing of negative over a person in an almost magical sense. It does include that, but it's not just that. It's also wrapped up with the idea of, of condemning speech. The kind of root of this word comes from the idea of bringing down. And so James is tapping into this idea that, that we use our voice as an instrument to praise God and lift him up. And then sometimes in the very next breath, we use the same instrument to tear down those in which he is created in his own image. He wants us to connect the dots. Because so often we don't. So often they're, they're separate things in our mind, the, the using, the, the praising, the coming together, the worshipping God and, and the way we speak about other people. We, we, we think of them as separate things, but James wants us to see them as deeply connected. He wants us to connect the dots. Now I have to confess that this has been an area of great struggle in my own life. I used to pride myself on my ability to have a quick comeback, a sarcastic remark, a, 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 a witty joke. But the thing is, you know, I think I, you know, I get to places in my life where I think I've won victory over, over taming my tongue in that space, but just recently I found myself not cursing, not putting hexes upon people, but, but the sarcastic joke, the, the negative word, the critiquing comment, and so this has been a great challenge for me, especially with how it opens. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters. It's been a great challenge to me to connect the dots because I love praising God. There's nothing I enjoy more than using my voice as out of key as my own instrument may be to praise God. But, but God wants me to connect the dots between that and how I speak about others and how I speak to others. He, he wants me to see that that should not be so. I should not use the instrument of my voice to praise him, to preach his word and then tear down others, even if it's meant to be a joke. This should not be. He said, he, again, he's touching on this, what we say matters. Not just what you say here, not just when the words are on the screen and you're singing them, not just when you're in public and you're being nice to other people. What you say matters when you get home. What you say matters, even if you are, in a sense, just saying it in your head, I believe. Even if you're just saying it to yourself, what you say matters we need to connect the dots and so to, to draw out the idea of the incongruence of this uh, James gives us some illustrations I've said in previously in this series I love James because he just gives us the direct application it's easy for a preacher this passage is so full of illustrations I hardly have to come up with any he says can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring You either have a fresh water spring or a salt water spring. It's, it's either 
fresh, good drinking water, or it's, or it's full of minerals and salt, and, and, it, and it's not good for the body. It, it's either one or the other. And I think the thing that James wants us to grab out of this is, if it's partly salty, then it's all salty. If there's you know, salt is used as a positive thing elsewhere in Scripture, but we're not meant to read salt as a good thing here. Our words are meant to be like fresh springs. But the thing is, if it's mostly fresh water, but a little bit of it's tainted, then the whole lot is tainted. Once you mix the water together, then it's all salty. He goes on to to talk about trees. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? Can a fig tree bear olives? No, can't. doesn't work that way. Or can a grapevine bear figs? He says, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James is drawing out that this idea of using the instrument of our voice, our words to praise God and using it to curse his creation, specifically those who are created in his image, which is every single person you have ever met in your life, James wants us to see how incongruent that should be to us. The idea of that should be so jarring to us once we connect the dots. This should not be. In Matthew twelve thirty three, which is probably where James gets his idea about uh, fruit representing our speech, Jesus says, "Make a good tree, make a tree good, and its fruit will be good; or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit." And then he goes on, which we're going to get into that passage in a a little bit more in a moment, but then he goes on to talk about how we speak. And so Jesus is comparing the words we say to the type of fruit that's produced. And so the, the thing is here, the fruit of our lips determines what kind of tree we are. We need to take seriously what we say. Underlying this kind of whole idea of praise and worship and the instrument we use is is because um, James is a, a very Jewish follower of Jesus. Uh, and so underlying this is this idea is the idea of temple worship. And in the temple in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, uh, they worshipped uh, through animal sacrifice and through through other kind of offerings and sacrifices and and there was all these implements there was incense burners and 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 bowls and all of these kind of things used in the worship at the temple and they were not to be used for anything but worship you didn't use a bowl at the temple to pour out a drink offering before the Lord as an act of worship and then go and eat your wheat picks out of it. You didn't uh, use a, 
an incense burner at the temple to, 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 to worship the Lord and then go and put it in your house at home and you know just use it to kind of fragrance the room. In fact, you weren't under the old covenant, Israel wasn't allowed to use the same ingredients as were used in the incense burnt in the temple in their own homes. There was this separateness of instruments used for worship and instruments used for the ordinary. And so James is kind of bringing us into this understanding that we don't live under that old covenant, that we don't live under that practice of worship. He's bringing us into this idea of, of something that is used for worship should not be used for profane purposes. As, as those of us who are not, not Jewish, who haven't participated in, in temple worship, it's hard to put ourselves into that, that mindset of sacred things. The, the closest thing I can think about is the special dinner set that only comes out at Christmas. It's, it's only used when there's a special meal and it's not used regularly. But that, that pales in comparison to, to the idea that James would have had about the sacred and the profane. We should not use an instrument that's intended for worship for profane purposes. And so we need to get real about what we say. Sometimes taming our tongue simply means zipping our lips. If it's not loving, if it's not constructive, if it's not building up, if it's not honouring to God, then don't say it. In any context. Because I don't know about you, but, but I'm an expert at making excuses and reasons and context up for why it's okay for me to say that thing. Well, it's just, you know, it's just amongst close friends. Just, I just, just want to get that off my chest amongst close friends. It's, it's not how I really feel, but I just wanted to put it out there. It's kind of funny. It's not what I think about that person, but it's worth it for the laugh. I'm an expert at, at, at making excuses for, for myself about why it's okay to say. But sometimes we just need to zip our lips. And I can tell you there's so many times I'm glad that I have. Where it's kind of like, oh, and I just caught it before it's come out. And I'm so glad because I realized later how damaging those words would have been. But I have to confess, there's many more times that I wish I had where I've said something and immediately I wish I had caught it before it came out because I can see or at least feel the damage it's about to cause. So James says the tongue is set on fire by hell that, that we have this impulse, all of us have it. And so sometimes we simply just need to, a lot of the time, I believe, zip our lips and not say it. To, to simply choose, I will not curse and tear down and bring down and profane a person who's created in the image of God with the same instrument I just worshipped him with. We need to get real about what we say because it matters. 
And then James probes a little bit deeper. He, he, he could just leave it there. And we could be like, okay, I, got, I get the picture. My words are powerful. There's great power in the tongue. I can steer the course of my life. Uh, I need to be careful not to create uh, a fire in my life or in the life of others with my words. Uh, I need to make sure that I'm controlling my tongue. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. I can zip my lips. Mm. But he doesn't leave us there. He, 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 he digs a little bit deeper. In your Bibles, like mine, it, it might have a heading two kinds of wisdom, I, I would put this heading. Where do words come from? Because James hasn't moved on to a new topic. He didn't put a heading there. I, I appreciate the publishers of our, of our text Bibles because these headings are helpful for us to find things and things like that. But, but James didn't put that heading there. I think he's talking about this. Where do words come from? Where do your words come from. Uh, Jesus spoke about this actually and this is where Matthew 12, 33, which I read before, Jesus begins by talking about uh, the kind of tree is evidenced by the fruit it produces and then he says in the next verse in Matthew 12, 34, he says, you brood of vipers. Jesus, meek and mild, says you brood of vipers. How can you who are evil Say anything good. He's talking to the Pharisees here. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let me say that again. The words of Jesus. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. And so Jesus taught that our words come from what is stored within our heart. And so it's this idea that James is touching on when he talks about wisdom. In verses 13 to 18, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it. Do not speak about it. Do not talk out of that place, he's saying. Or deny the truth. Such wisdom, in inverted commas, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find discord and every evil practice but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace loving considerate submissive full of mercy and good fruit impartial and sincere peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness and so james pulls apart these two kinds of wisdom Jesus said what, what, what we speak comes from what's in our heart. And so here James is talking about in these two kinds of wisdom about what is in our heart. What are you full of? You can be full of one kind of wisdom, which he says doesn't come from heaven at all. The kind of wisdom that produces selfish ambition and envy 
He says, bitter envy. He says, that, that doesn't come from heaven. And he says, this, the other kind of wisdom that you can have is from heaven. And like Paul's fruits of the Spirit, James talks about the kind of fruit that this kind of wisdom produces in our actions and our words. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemaking. That, that's what will shape our actions and our words from that kind of wisdom. When I was reading this, I remembered um, a story of... Sorry, my illustration is a bit rugby-focused. I've talked about rugby a bit today. Um, I remember a story of a, um, a, a, an international rugby player who was playing in, it was the Super 12 then, and uh, he got suspended for several weeks for a racist curse uttered to another player on the opposing team on the field. Um, I'm not going to name him because he's, he's done his penance and it's not my place. But the thing is, what he said afterwards was, you know, it was a white person to a black person, a racist curse on the field. I'm not going to repeat what it was. But the thing he said afterwards is, that's not how I think. I would never say that. It was just in the heat of the, the passion of the game. But I remember thinking, that doesn't come out if it wasn't in there. Those kind of words don't come out if that kind of wisdom, if that kind of evil wasn't in there. And so this is where James has taken it to a deeper level. He's talked about taming the tongue and and this man, I'm sure in 99.9% of his life, he, he, he managed to not say horribly offensive and racist things. But he hadn't done or allowed God to do the work on his heart that would mean those things weren't in there. And so a moment come in the heat of the battle on the rugby field where something horrible came out and it set his life on fire for the, I can't remember how many weeks he wasn't allowed to play rugby at least. But it also damaged his image with the world around. It damaged his integrity as a player. And so if we really want to take seriously what we speak, we've got, to, we've got to dig deeper than simply zipping our lips. That's important. But, but we need to dig deeper into our heart and into the place of where do our words come from. And the challenge of this for me is I believe it's challenging us and me to not dismiss our negative words as benign. Like I said, I'm great with making excuses. I'm great with telling myself that it was okay. It was just a joke. I didn't really mean it. I wasn't feeling great. I, I, I was just frustrated. I was angry. I so am quick to make the excuse, but I'm also quick to convince myself that it was benign. But James doesn't allow us any space to do so, he, he says in verse 6 that, that our tongue, which is so impossible to tame, is set on fire by hell. Uh, the Greek word here is Gehenna. It, it is a, a reference to a valley, 
outside of Jerusalem um, that used to be a place of the worship of the Baals and, a, and, and one of the Canaanite gods, Molech, where children were sacrificed as an act of abominable worship to a false god. It's also uh, in, in uh, the prophet Jeremiah talks about that place as being a place of judgment where, where uh, Babylon, in their slaughter of the Israelites, buried countless bodies there. And, and so it became emblematic as, as a, of a place of horror and judgment and it became emblematic of the power of Satan uh, in the world. And so James doesn't want us to see our untamed words as benign. He's saying they come from hell. That doesn't necessarily mean Satan told you to say it, that we've got Satan, you know, that the, the cartoons would have us believe perched on, your, on our shoulder saying, tell them this, make this joke. But he wants us to know the impulse for negative words is not benign, it comes from hell. In verse 15, which is still on the screen, he, he says that these words that come from this wisdom, this kind of wisdom is earthly. It's not from heaven, it's, 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 it's of the earth. It says it's unspiritual, which means it's, it's not helpfully spiritual because the next word he says is it's demonic. And so as we get real about how we speak, we need to recognize the place that our words come from. Our words are not benign or harmless to, to not actually exaggerate what James is saying here. Our words can come from heaven or they can come from hell. Just as the Old Testament said, our words can give life or they can give death. Our words can come from a place of life, of wisdom, of heaven, of being peace-loving, of being considerate, of being submissive. Or they can come from the enemy, from the evil impulse, our evil desires within us. They can come from selfish ambition and envy and a desire to tear others down. There's great power in the tongue. We need to seek to tame it, to choose that our tongue, our words will be instruments of worship and not instruments of cursing. But we need to dig deeper into the place of where our words are coming from. We need to allow God to do the work in our heart to redeem, to restore, to heal, to deliver the place that our words come from. For, for me, my negative words, they, they, they totally come from a place of wanting to seem funny, to seem smart, to, to put myself in the upper hand over a person. Now, I'm not a genius, but I don't think that's coming from a place of wisdom from heaven. I think it's coming from the other place. And so I can zip my lips, I can try and keep those words in, but, but I need to allow God to work on that place in my heart. We can take comfort from James's words in James chapter 3, verse 2, where he says, we all stumble in many ways. 
James speaks such a challenging word, at least to me this morning, and perhaps I'm the only one challenged by it. But he speaks such a, a challenging word, he pulls no punches. He wants us to get real about how we speak, but he acknowledges even he himself, all of us, stumble in many ways. As challenging as this word is, we need to receive it in the context of grace. We need to receive it in the understanding of, I am not the only one who has not managed to tame my tongue. In fact, no one has. And so as we come to finish with worship this morning, I want to read to you two last scriptures. One is an encouragement, one is a prayer. In Isaiah, we read the story of the prophet Isaiah in a dream being called into the heavenly throne room before God where the angels are worshipping. This is in Isaiah chapter 6. and The angels are worshipping and calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And it says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And this is what Isaiah says in that context. says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King." the Lord Almighty. And so he recognises in this place where the angels are worshipping the holy, where his lips, the fruit of his lips, the fruit of the lips of the people that he's a part of, he recognises there's an incongruence between how the angels are praising God and the uncleanliness of his lips. Then one of the seraphim, which is an angel-like creature, flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned. Four. This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And so we understand that it's Jesus that is sacrificed on the altar, that Jesus has died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, including the sins of our speech. It's Jesus that purifies us. And so taking that coal from the fire of the altar and placing it on the lips of Isaiah is is symbolic of our speech being purified and atoned for by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so what I want to say is there's no place for us to sit in guilt and shame this morning about the way we've spoken in the past because as Isaiah's example tells us, that God can make us clean. And so I want to invite you to stand and finally I'm just going to read as a prayer. I invite you to pray this as your prayer. Psalm 19, verse 14, the final verse of that psalm. As James calls us to get real and to understand the power of our words, may this be our prayer. May the words of my mouth, may the words of our mouth, 
and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so we pray this morning, Lord. We stand before you. I confess before you and your people, Lord, this instrument I've used to praise your name, I've also used for the cursing of your creation. I repent, I'm sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. And I pray for myself and I pray for each of us. Father, may the words of our mouth, may our words, each and every one of them, be pleasing to you. But not just our words, Father, we pray that the meditation, the meditations, the thoughts, the wisdom that we are filled with, may it be pleasing to you as well. And so we pray this morning to come by your spirit into the place of our hearts. We pray that you would pull out and uproot any of the wisdom that comes from the enemy, any envy, any selfishness, any bitterness, whatever is stored up in us that is not good, that produces not good words, Lord, we pray that you would uproot it this morning and just take it away. And we pray that you would fill our hearts with heavenly wisdom, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be abundantly and overwhelmingly pleasing to you. May it be so in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this, Father, in the name of your Son. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.